Father in heaven, Lord, we want to commit ourselves to you just now. Father, our desire is to finish strong. And so we pray this morning as we meditate upon this theme of take up your cross, that the Spirit of Christ that moved our Lord to bear his cross, that that same Spirit may be upon us today. Guide us, instruct us, inspire us, motivate us, and move us, Lord. But most of all, may you mold our lives under the pruning knife of trials. We love you and we thank you for hearing and answering this prayer. And we offer this prayer from our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16. Matthew, chapter 16. Beginning in verse 24. When you're there, you can say, Amen. Matthew, chapter 16. Verse 24, the Bible says, Then Jesus said to his disciples. Jesus is talking to those who have committed their lives to him. Has anyone here committed their life to Jesus? Yes? Okay. Then I imagine that Jesus' words to them would also apply to you and me. Because the Bible says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, that means to follow me, to truly be a disciple. Jesus says, let him deny himself and do what? Take up his cross and follow me. Now it's interesting, when Jesus gives these words, this is in the very context in which he predicted his death. And Peter comes and says, Lord, you're not going to be crucified. Suffer it not to be so. And he says, get thee behind me, Satan. Because Peter did not want to see Jesus go through this experience this lets you know that the cross as a Roman method of torture to maximize pain. Human beings are the only mammal on planet Earth that devises ways to increase your pain. We find ways to maximize suffering. It's not enough just to execute you. No, we want you to suffer. And the Romans are the greatest illustration of this. Because the moment you were crucified, you had to exhaust energy just to breathe. So this raises the question that to bear your cross, to follow Jesus, means that we must be prepared for suffering. It is impossible to follow Jesus and not suffer. It is impossible 
to be Christ-like and not suffer. But you see, some of us act, as Peter said, when we find ourselves in trials as if some strange thing has happened to us. If it happened to Jesus, it's going to happen to me and you. Because guess what? Jesus was perfect. You want to know how a perfect person would be treated on the earth? Read the story of Jesus. You want to know how a person who loves God with a perfect love will be treated on planet earth? Read the story of Jesus. You want to know how a person will be treated that loves all humanity as himself? Just go ahead and read the story of Jesus. For some reason, we've gotten this notion into our minds as Christians that because I do what God has asked, because I'm serving him, because I sacrifice for Jesus, no bad thing should happen to me. That's funny. Because the worst thing that could ever happen to any being in the universe happened to the only person who was the best person in the universe. So what would make us think, as disciples of Jesus, that we can follow him and expect a road less thorny? So let me ask you a question. Just for sake of illustration in my mind. I was in the United States Marine Corps. When you start basic training, after about three weeks, you go through something called the confidence course. What is it called? The confidence course. The confidence course is this basically about a mile long obstacle course. And it is a mile. I don't know how long it is now. I'm old school now. You know, I have brothers in the military. They got video games and boot camp and stuff. I'm like, these are the people defending our country. <laughs> Playing Xbox. I'm like, Lord have mercy on us all. Praise God for my guardian angel. But nevertheless, back in my day, it was long, it was difficult, and it had height and length. So yes, you had to pull yourself up on a rope in the middle of the course in order to finish. And you pulled yourself up almost 50 feet off the ground. No legs. So now you're thinking about the fact that as soon as you start using your legs, they tell you start over. So as we're going through this course, they give it to you three weeks into boot camp. And as you're going through this confidence course, you can imagine most of us don't finish the rope. So therefore, you don't finish the course. And you're like, why would you call this the confidence course when all it's doing is destroying my confidence and my ability to be a Marine? So after that, you kind of march home. And then, of course, in great boot camp fashion, they punish you for not finishing the confidence course. You know what? You guys are weak. You guys are this. And you think you're going to be Marines? Because in boot camp, they don't call you Marines. They call you recruits. They don't even call you by your name. They call you thing. I'm not even joking. It. So as we're coming back from not finishing the confidence course, he's like, oh, yeah, you know, we're going to do push-ups the rest of the day. Not an hour, not a number, just the rest of the day. I'm doing push-ups so long 
that I'm sweating through my clothes onto the floor. You can see a silhouette of my body in sweat. And this guy's like, yeah, it's about lunchtime. Maybe we should go eat. Takes us to eat, brings us back. He says, you know, I haven't forgotten that you didn't finish the confidence course. So we're going to keep pushing the rest of the afternoon. And I'm like, this is crazy. But you know what happens is Marine Corps boot camp is three months. The last week of boot camp before you go through what's something called the crucible. The interesting thing is they take you back to the confidence course. And you know what happens? You finish it. And the moment you finish it and you cross the other side, you realize this is where I was at three weeks and this is where I am now. And what initially destroyed your confidence, now you realize I have actually grown. I've gotten stronger, more agile. But not only that, the confidence course taught you, you developed a will and determination. You didn't finish this time necessarily because you were stronger. You might be. Not necessarily because of your physical fitness has increased. But because throughout the process of boot camp, you learned to do something that Jesus called us to do to follow him. And that is, I will get to the end no matter what it takes. Yes, my arms are burning. Yes, my legs are tired. Yes, I'm breathing hard. But guess what? I'm going to finish this course. That's what has changed. Not necessarily physical power, but mental determination. But for some of us, we don't treat our trials as a confidence course. We act as if the initial three weeks of boot camp experience is ours. Why would God let me go through this knowing I wouldn't make it? Why would God allow this trial, this temptation, knowing I could not resist? Why would God allow me to be put into a situation where I feel as if I'm almost overcome? Thinking, I don't see, there's no way, no how, I'm going to be able to complete this trial and this tribulation. You know what's funny is, you didn't know you could do it until you actually what? Do it. Because God, for disciples of Jesus, says, you got to take up your cross. And in every expectation of trial and suffering, it's a confidence course. God didn't lead us to the problems that we have right now because he thought we would fail. God did not lead us to these trials and problems and suffering because he expects us to stay the same as we are. If we had enough power right now, why do we even need to grow? Why do we need to abide in Jesus? Why do we need to seek him? I already have enough strength. No. God has to show us ourselves. Taking up your cross is about the expectation. I am going to suffer to follow Jesus. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. 
But the second thing it represents is in the Roman tradition, not only was a person to be crucified to add shame to the experience, they wanted you to carry the instrument of your own torture. They wanted you to bear the weight before you even got to Golgotha's hill. I want you to feel the weight of this thing. And because we know that Jesus was not scheduled to be crucified that day, that means that cross was for Barabbas. We don't know if Barabbas was a bigger man. We don't know if he was a stronger man because they designed it for the person they're torturing. So all of a sudden, Jesus is bearing a cross that was not supposed to be his, was not designed for him. And on this very day, it was to say, you are submitting to the sentence that has come upon you. You are submitting to the rulership of Rome, our ability to punish and to discipline. So when Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, if any man will come after me, let him take up his cross. He is not only telling us to be prepared for trials and suffering. He's also telling us we need to submit to the process of following Jesus. You see, we got to recognize brothers and sisters, as I told someone the other day, and as I oftentimes tell people, you and I do not make a decision to follow God and to do his will and expect the devil to pat you on the back and wish you well. Great job. You decided to follow Jesus. All the best. No. If we decided to follow Jesus, the spirit of prophecy tells us the devil will contest every inch of ground on your way back to the heavenly kingdom. That's why this morning it was hard for you to pause in the busyness of the day just to stop and pray. Because the devil's going to contest every inch. You worried about, will I overcome this temptation? The devil's like, I'm not even going to let you pray in the morning. I'm not even going to give you interest in the Bible. I'm not even going to allow you a moment, a second to listen to a sermon. I'm not even going to give you the opportunity to sing praise to God. Because you're going to be so busy, so discouraged, so burdened, every inch of ground. Sometimes you recognize having four children. Sometimes you're just glad that you made it to church. People who have kids know what I'm talking about. You get up extra early, dressing this one, dressing that one, feeding this one, feeding that one, trying to get everybody into car, don't jump in a puddle with your Sabbath clothes. And you're thinking to yourself, of course, this is going to happen. And only to get there, the sermon is done. And you're looking at yourself like, what did I just do? No surprise, the devil's going to make it difficult for you just to get to church. That's why, you know, I know my wife is a strong woman because my wife will go anyway. You sit there, you think to yourself, man, here I am, GYC Canada, I move slow pace, you know, take my time, pray in the morning, seek Jesus. <laughs> I'm like, 
My wife will end up at church with four kids by herself. And you say, what is motivating a person to do that? Only determination. Because the devil is making it difficult for a reason. Why is it that the devil make it difficult for you to pray? If there was no value in prayer, why would he make it challenging for us to want to spend hours in prayer with God? Unless he knew there was some power on the other side. Why would the devil make the Bible seem unappealing to young adults and youth? Why would he design schemes and entertainment and recreation in order to weaken our desire for heavenly things unless he knew something on the other side? Because guess what? The devil is playing to win. The question is, are we playing to win? Jesus says, take up your cross to be prepared for trials and submit to whatever it takes to follow Jesus. See, taking up your cross is no different than loving Jesus more than your mother or father. Because guess what? That's a hard cross to bear. In all my travels and all my training of young people, if there's one thing that has created issues, it is parents. It's always ironic that everybody is okay with someone else's child being a missionary, but not you. Soon as you go, mom and dad, you know, you raised me to have worship every day. You raised me to seek God and you took me to church every Sabbath. You made sure that Jesus was first. The Bible is first. Make sure that you love others and serve God. And oh, you, it's so cute to see our kids in adventurers and pathfinders and serving God and doing all these things. But as soon as the child is 19, it says, mom, dad, I know I'm in school preparing to go to medical school, but God's calling me to be a missionary. Now all of a sudden your parents are like, oh, no, 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 no. God ain't calling you to be a missionary. Maybe your roommate, but not you. You don't go to medical school. I'm not even exaggerating. I wish I was. Young people call me on the phone crying because they thought their parents would support their decision to serve Christ. But apparently Mary and Joseph still live today. Looking for you when you're out there doing your father's business. And let's not even talk about cultural expectations. Oh, because if you're Caribbean or African, you're expected to take care of your parents. But if you're a missionary, you don't have all that discretionary income. So all of a sudden, you are now abandoning your culture. To follow Jesus and now all of a sudden you're a little bit of a fanatic because you're doing God's will guess what you know what you need to do take up your cross and follow Jesus if that is the cost of doing the will of God then so be it Jesus let us know from the beginning I did not come to bring peace I came to bring a sword this is the same God who said, blessed are the peacemakers. As much as lies within you, live peaceably with all men. This is the same God that says, I did not come to bring peace, but a what? Sword. 
to put a man at variance with his father, daughter with her mother-in-law, and all of a sudden Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, notice Luke gives it a different spin. He says, if you love father and mother, brother or sister more than me, you cannot be my disciple. Did you understand the word cannot? But no, Matthew takes it a step further in Matthew chapter 10. He says, you are unworthy of me. We talked about why last night. Because if I come and I give everything, I'm expecting you to bring everything. That includes mother and father, brother and sister, son and daughter, houses or lands. But you see, we don't want to take up our cross and follow Jesus. I'm not a fool. Many of us in this room, we are slaves to culture. We think we are following Jesus until culture pops up. I talk to many Asians, Koreans, Indonesians, Chinese. Brother Sebastian, you know, I feel God calling me. But, you know, in our culture, let me stop you right there. Where in the Bible does it say follow culture? Where? Oh, but Brother Sebastian, you don't understand how my family's going to look at me. I understand. Are you concerned how God's going to look at you? Or are you concerned about your family looking at you? When I was in England, this young girl came to me. She said, Elder, I um, have a relationship and I was convicted by your sermon that I need to break off this relationship. I said, oh, great. Praise the Lord. It's not, you know, this relationship has not been edifying. It's not been leading me closer to Christ. All kinds of issues. I said, great, great, great. So, awesome. She's like, well, what should I do? I said, call him tonight. She's like, what? I said, take out your phone right now. Dial his number. Right now, right now. Call him right in front of me and let him know it's over. She looked at me. She's like, whoa, whoa, ho, 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 ho. She's like, we were in a relationship for seven years. I feel like I should wait until I get back, you know, and we talk face to face. I feel like I at least owe him that. I looked at his sister. I said, listen, let me tell you two things. Number one, I'm a, I'm a guy. And I'm going to tell you right now, you get in my presence and I know that you love me. I know that you like me and you're going to sit down and say, Oh, yeah, you know, this hasn't been leading me. And I was at, you know, camp meeting and I've been inspired. This relationship is not edifying. What do you think I'm going to tell you? Oh, I'm going to be better. I'm going to try, you know. I know I told you this. I said, listen, we'll have you crying in your dress. She'd be like, oh, you know, he's trying to make a change. <laughs> Weeping and everything, you know, praise God. Maybe this time around. No. You got to recognize when you are emotionally bonded to someone, you get in their physical presence, I can guarantee you, you just made it 10 times more difficult. Call him right now. She's like, but I feel like I owe it to him. I said, listen to me. Seven years ago when you started this relationship and you gave up Jesus to, to be with this young man, did you go to tell Jesus face to face? 
Did you go to your prayer room and bow down on your knees before your maker and say, hey, guess what? I want you to know for the next seven years, I'm going to love Joshua. I'm going to give my affections to Joshua. I'm going to give all my time to Joshua. I'm not going to have time for you. I'll get around to you when I can. I will return your calls when I'm able. But my focus is Joshua. Is that what you did? She says, well, what about his feelings? I said, what about Jesus' feelings? I said, this man didn't even die for you. At least Jesus died for you. Jesus sweat great drops of blood for you. Jesus was crushed under the weight of a cross for you. Suffocating, collapsed, separated from his heavenly father for you. And you're going to give your affections to this man? This brother barely takes you out to eat. You cannot give your supreme affections to any man who has not died. Past tense. Not promising, girl, I will die for you. But you haven't. That's what you need to tell him. That's right. You better say amen. But guys, we know different. Because guys, this is where we make mistakes. Adventist young men. We're afraid to deal with the wrath. We don't want to call her and be like, yeah, this is my fault, you know, this relationship is not really working out. And unfortunately, because somehow we've developed into cowards, we want to let a girl down gently, which is code language for I'm not going to really break up with you. I'm just going to ghost. I'm going to stop responding. I'm going to stop messaging. I'm just going to act super shady in church. Now talking, she's like, what's going on? Because, you know, outside in the park, you holding my hand, you all up in my face. Now we in church. Now you want to be holy and, oh, we need boundaries. Hold on, brother. I'm going to need you to set some clear lines here. Where are we? Because a brother doesn't want to come clean and own your stuff. Because you don't want to take up your cross and follow Jesus. In order to follow Christ, it comes with a cross. But we don't want to take it up. So we find nice little convenient ways to soften the suffering when in reality we're just making it worse. So when we talk about not only bearing your cross with relationships and culture. It also says husband or wife. You know, many of us. We let our spirituality die because of our spouses. You know, I have to speak to wives for a second. It's unfortunate that in the Bible never tells wives to love their husbands because that's not their struggle. You don't have to tell a wife to love her husband. They're going to do that. The issue is going to be Will she love her husband to the point where it becomes idolatrous? That's natural for a woman to love a man that has accepted her in all her ugliness. When he's seen the worst parts and he's still hanging around. When he's seen you look toe up with stuff on the side of your mouth in the morning, he still wants to kiss you and say good morning. When even though you're like, my hair looks jacked up, but he's like, you look beautiful. See, all these women laughing because they know it's true. 
You can pass gas around this man. He's still around. Jesus knows. I'm going to keep it real with you. When we do all of that, we say, oh, man, this man's still hanging around. He still loves me. But here's the problem. Sometimes following Jesus as a wife isn't going to re resonate with your husband. Oh, babe, I ain't feeling like going to church today. You get up and get your kids dressed and go to church. Well, if you want to stay home, you stay home by yourself. Listen, no man who is worth his weight in gold wants a wife that's going to buckle to every single whim. That's why I chose my wife. My wife is not afraid of me. I can't bully my wife. You know, I'm a loud mouth preacher. I know the Bible, but that doesn't work with my wife. Because she's not caving in. And they said, well, Sebastian, you know, what, what did you? I said, listen, you, you got to realize that. I know as, as men right now, we got this generation where we're afraid of strong women. But the truth of the matter is, when you're dying, the last ideal you want in your brain is that, man, I'm dying. This woman's going to raise my kids. Lord, have mercy on us all. So you want to make sure you marry someone that when you're dying, you know my family will be well. I will see them in the kingdom. And guess what? Dad takes a strong woman. Who's not going to look at you and be like, oh, you know, whatever you do, whatever you want, whatever it is. No, she's going to look at you and say, well, that's not what the Bible says. You're my husband and I love you and I respect you. But guess what? You know, babe, you can teach the Bible. You can, you know, explain it in worship, but you're not above it. And sometimes following Jesus as a wife, you got to take up your cross and follow Jesus. But the same goes for a husband. You know, we live in a generation where we say love is unconditional, but respect is earned. In the Bible, respect is unconditional. This is how we set men up. The wife comes into marriage and says, you got to earn my respect as a wife, but she doesn't have to earn my love. That creates tension. Because men understand love through respect. It's funny, when I was um, growing up, my dad, he's a very hard person. Now he's a little bit softer, you know, that's what happens when you have grandkids. You're looking at your parents like, is this the same person? <laughs> Super patient, loving, oh, it's all right. I'm like, man, you used to beat the brakes off of me for this stuff. <laughs> but my dad was hard and I appreciate it. Now, I didn't appreciate it then. But I distinctly remember two conversations with my dad. My dad, I was about 16, 17, we're having a conversation. I was like, you know, daddy, I feel like you don't like me. My dad's like, I don't have to like you. I'm like, what? That is not the response I was looking for. You're expecting some sort of vulnerable, like, son, I love you. You are my son, you know. You are my firstborn, the son of my right hand. You will carry on the Braxton name. You will expand our kingdom. No. My dad said, I don't have to like you. He looked at me and he said, Sebastian, you're so worried about whether people like you, you need to worry about whether people are doing right by you. He says, I could like you and I could be on the street smoking crack cocaine, but I like you. Oh, I could have left your mom. 
Never send child support, disappear. But I like you. How are you going to feel about me then? He says, the first responsibility of me as your father is to take care and provide. So guess what? Your number one concern is, is my father doing right by me? So my dad looked and said, listen, you don't have to respect me, but you're not going to disrespect me. That's an interesting statement. I'm looking at my dad like, that's confusing. I don't have to respect you, but I'm not going to disrespect you. That sounds like I have to respect you. (laughs) (laughs) What my dad was really saying is, respect is unconditional. You don't have to respect the man, but you have to respect the position. That's hard for a wife in the home. That was hard when Saul was king and David was not. Everyone said, look how wicked this man is. He's hunting people down to murder them. You know, he tried to murder David 27 different times in 1 Samuel, if you count them up. The king tried to murder someone who was innocent and used his power, his soldiers, and everything. And you know what David said to the man that killed Saul? He claimed to kill Saul. He said, how could you have touched the Lord's anointed? He didn't say, good riddance, that man been trying to kill me for like 10 years. No, David said, do you glory in the fact that you had the audacity to take a blade to the man that God has anointed king? Because even if you don't respect Saul, you have to respect the position. It is no different for a man in his home. So I have to remind a lot of wives and a lot of men, they're so worried about earning the respect and the love and the affirmation of their wife, they're not willing to take up their cross and follow Jesus. Because a woman will respect you when she realizes she can't change you can't manipulate you it's the truth there's no woman alive that respects a man that she can manipulate she's like oh I can play with this guy he'll pay for my lunch whenever you know call him up give him a sob story he'll come around and support and do this and that and the third she's not going to be with him she's going to be with a man that commands her respect and a lot of times as husbands On one level, as my dad said, we got to realize that when it's time to follow God, that's okay if I have to take up my cross. And my wife says, well, honey, I'm not with you on that one. That's okay. Just because my wife is not into doing devotions or evangelism doesn't mean I'm not going to do evangelism. Amen. Just because she's concerned with earthly things like Justin talked about. Man's wife walked away because she got tired of the poverty, quote unquote. You still got to be a good steward. You take up your cross and you follow Jesus. Second story my dad told me, he said, Sebastian, you know the difference between a boy and a man? I was 17. I said one year. Because when I turn 18, I'm a man. My dad was like, no. He said, the difference between a boy and a man 
is you don't have to tell a man to take out the trash. He does it because it needs to be done. So as long as your mom, your sister, and your wife, and your grandmother have to tell you what needs to be done, you're still a boy. So we got a lot of 50-year-old boys walking around. It's the truth. Men with PhDs, but they're boys. Making six figures, but they're boys. Because taking up your cross and following Jesus is a way of saying you do what you have to do because it needs to be done. As a man, in order sometimes you cannot wait for agreement on your spouse. We must do what is right because it is right. And leave the consequences with God. And if someone comes to you and says, guess what? I am a man. And as a man I have to do what needs to be done because it needs to be done. That's just the way it is. And we got to take up our cross and follow Jesus. See, a lot of us, even with our children, we find ourselves doing everything for our kids. People lose their identity in their children. But guess what? Jesus said, you can't love them more than me. I want you to think about how much people love their children. And it's got to be less than Jesus. You waking up all hours of the night to make sure this child is okay. You going over budget. You wearing the same broke down suits because you want to buy your kids new clothes. You want to make sure they eat, they're comfortable. They have this, they have that. Oh, he wants to play this sport. He has to go to school. We got to pay for him to go to Adventist education. Sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. And I'm looking and saying, so what about when it's time to sacrifice for Jesus? What about when it's time to be up late for Jesus? Then we don't want to do it. We don't want to take up our cross and follow him. But guess what? Parents, we have to come to a place where we make sure our children understand you are not the center of the universe. Jesus is. You are not the center of the home. Jesus is. You are not the of all, be all, and all. Jesus is. He is first, last, and best. Otherwise, we will eventually stop following Jesus because we have to take up our cross. And follow Jesus. You got to be prepared for trials for Christ's sake. And sometimes those trials come from your children. You know, when I think about these things, it reminds me. When I first became a Christian, I came from hip hop music. I didn't know one Christian hymn ever, like none. And I couldn't even sing melody, let alone harmony or whatever else is out there. So I'm walking in church and these people, you know, hip hop, there's no melody. It's just beat. <laughs> so now I'm, I'm like tone deaf. People are coming to me. They're like, we're marching. No, no, no. This is the note. They're like singing in my ear. I cannot repeat the note. You know, I remember Randy Skeet he used to joke with me. He said, Sebastian, you couldn't carry a tune if it had a handle. And I was, you know, back then I was like, hey, I'm unashamed. 
I never said I could sing. <laughs> but I fell in love with certain songs. Not so much because of the music, but because of the message. One of my early favorite songs was I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. That song resonated with me a lot. Then I heard the story of its origins. Now, I don't know how true it is or accurate. Supposedly, it was written by a missionary who was in the East. He took his family to this village, never heard the name of Jesus. He took his family to this village. He had a son and a daughter, his wife. And while he was there, they couldn't get anybody to come out to anything. No interest for years. They were there for almost four or five years. Not one soul. Not one convert. Nothing. So this man's like, you know what? Guys, I think we're going to pack it up. So they started planning their exit back to the States. During that time, his son had one of his Bible tracks in his hand. And he went to the market as they normally do to buy food. And as he went to the market, he had a friend and he told his friend, he said, hey, my family and I, we're going to be leaving soon. I just wanted to give you this track. So he gave it to the boy. The boy said, thank you. And he went back home and he shared it with his parents. He said, oh, you know, such and such, my friend from the market, he gave me this track. So they read it and it led them to Jesus. So as they started worshiping Jesus, it became known in the tribe and it reached the chief. So they called the tribal meeting. Hey, listen up. You got to give up this white man's religion. That's what they called it. These people came. They're not from us. They're not of us. You can't trust their religion. They said, no, we're not going to give it up. And they continued to teach. And all of a sudden, their home was filled with people interested in learning about the gospel. The family still had no idea this was happening. They're just packing up, getting ready to go home. We failed. Two weeks later, the chief had had enough because it started saying that they were planning a baptism. So the chief said, we got to stop this right now. So he calls an entire tribe meeting. It's like a town hall meeting. Brings the family and he calls out his soldiers with spears. And he brought the man, his wife, his son, and his daughter. And he said, make them kneel in the middle. So they all knelt. And he said, you need to give up this religion, otherwise I'm going to kill your family. The man looked at him, he said, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. The man took the spear and killed his daughter. Her body fell to the ground, and by this time, the shock had attracted this missionary family to figure out what was going on. So they came to the circle to see what was happening. And as they watched this instance, the chief said, I'm going to ask you again. Give up this religion of Christ. Otherwise, I'm going to kill your son. And the man said, I have decided 
to follow Jesus. No turning back. Killed his son. He said, I'm going to ask you again. Otherwise, I'm going to kill your wife. He said, the world behind me, the cross before me. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. His spirit is wife. When her body fell to the ground, everybody in the village was like, there's no way. This man is going to continue to be faithful to this religion. And the chief said, I'm going to give you one last chance. Surrender this religion. I'm going to take your life in front of all these people. Your family would have died for nothing. He looked at the man and he said, don't no one join me. Still, I will follow. He took the spear, killed the men, and he hit the ground. When his body hit the ground, this white family, they were in shock. They said, men, the one family we brought to Jesus died on the very day they gave their life to Christ. They didn't know what to think. And all the village was standing there until they noticed the chief put his spear down, take off his helmet, and he knelt down right in front of the whole tribe. And he said, if this man was willing to lose his family, his wife, his children, and even his own life to follow this Jesus, he gave his life to Christ. The entire village became converted. When I think of this song, brothers and sisters, it reminds us of our own confidence course. That's not just going to take physical exertion or Bible knowledge. It's going to take a strong will to be able to say in our hearts, in the face of a cross, when we are bearing it, we submit to the sentence, the curse, the shame, the betrayal, the misunderstanding of following Jesus. And in that moment, when it seems like everything is falling apart around us, and we've decided to follow Jesus, we need to sing that song and remind yourself, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. I don't care if no one joins me. This is the radical mindset that changes churches, that changes communities, that changes families. When you decide as a son or a daughter, I don't care if my parents are not interested in deep Bible study. I have decided to follow Jesus. I don't care if my wife doesn't want to seek the Lord and understand the sanctuary. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No one may join me. That's okay. Because I will follow by myself. My husband may not want to go. But I have decided to follow Jesus. And I may be misunderstood. Your rebellious wife, 
You're an unappreciative husband. You're a neglectful child. Disrespectful, ungrateful, misunderstood. You know what you do? You take up your cross and you follow Jesus. It is going to feel heavy. But you know, the beautiful thing about Jesus' story is that when Jesus couldn't bear it, they found a man called Simon. And they compelled him to help Jesus carry the cross. When Jesus was falling under the weight in Gethsemane, the Bible says that Jesus, God sent angels to strengthen him. What am I saying to you? When you leave this place, you need to expect trials for Christ's sake. We got to expect to be misunderstood, betrayed, falsely accused, beaten, go through the mockery of a trial, the abuse of systems and formal processes to be skewed against you. You got to expect it. But you already knew because you were already bearing your cross. I'm going to take it up. And guess what, brothers and sisters? We can never lay it down. We can never take away the expectation. Can I end with an encouraging story? I know my time is up. I've shared this story many times, but it encourages me to share it. When I was in the Marines, I remember the very end of the Marine Corps boot camp training is a crucible. And it is literally a crucible. You know, you spend three and a half days a week, almost, you only get one meal. Supposedly, you're supposed to get enough meals for the one day, but someone stole all my food the first day. You only sleep four hours a day. You walk around with about 36 kilograms on your back. You hike anywhere from 16 to 30 kilometers a day. At the end of it, I mean, you're probably somewhere near 110, 120 kilometers. The last one is 16 kilometers. On that day, you're, you're dying. Every joint in your body is hurting. Everything in your soul is questioning. Why did I even do this? And as we're marching, you get up at four in the morning, you're supposed to arrive by sunset. And you arrive on a parade deck. When you get to that parade deck, you're supposed to meet the general because this is the first day they're actually going to call you a Marine. So as we're standing there, this is a huge multitude of people, soldiers. Now, as we stand there, the general drives up 
gets out of the vehicle, you can see the sun shining on his rank, on his collar. He walks in front and he yells out to the whole multitude, the whole battalion. Parade, rest! Right, so everybody snaps to parade rest. So as you're there, you're, you're standing in there, he's giving this rousing speech. You are the Marines, the fruit, the proud, right? It's like it's all propaganda. You're the best. First to fight. You never lose. And he gives you this speech. This is why you got here, because you were determined. Because you never yielded. Because you had courage, honor, and commitment. So as he gives this speech, you're sitting there and you're like, waiting and waiting and waiting. You haven't eaten. And our sergeant says, you know, you better not lock your legs because if you pass out, you got to do the whole thing all over again. So we're standing there, a guy next to me passes out. They start dragging this man out. I mean, he's screaming. No! <laughs> he does not want to do this thing again, but they're taking him out. And I'm like, Lord, help. I mean, I didn't know God, but <laughs> if I knew him, I would have called on his name. <laughs> Lord, help me not to pass out. After the general is done, you have your drill instructors, your little sergeant, staff sergeant, whatever they come. And my friend is looking at me. While the general is talking, he says, are you going to cry? I'm like, no, nah, I'm not going to cry, man. I'm a Marine. Been through the crucible three months of this. This is like hell on earth for like four months. I'm not going to cry. I'm like, are you going to cry? You getting emotional? He's like, no, nah, man, I'm not going to cry. So my sergeant comes in front of my friend. And as he stands in front of him, he says, attention, right? So he snaps to attention. He starts saying something to my friend. I couldn't hear what he was saying. And then he says, steps back, salutes him and says, good morning, Marine. My friend just breaks down, starts crying. I mean, like sobbing. He's at attention, but his whole body is shaking. Just tears. So I'm like, oh, man. So then he comes in front of me. It's like, all right, Lance Corporal Braxton, boom, attention, right? I snap to attention. He salutes me, says, Braxton, you're going to be a good Marine going to be a good leader, da 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 he says all these things. He steps back, he says, good morning, Marine. I broke down, started crying. <laughs> I mean, I was sobbing. <laughs> so afterwards, right, the whole thing is over, and you're, you're kind of treated like a normal human being for a week. It's called transition week. <laughs> you get to eat breakfast when you want, go to sleep, rest, <laughs> talk to your mom. <laughs> So finally, after about two days, we get together to eat breakfast. And of course, nobody wants to bring it up. Hey, man, I saw you crying. What happened, man? He's like, you tell me, why were you crying? I said, no, I asked you first. But finally, he succumbed. He said, all right, I'll, I'll tell you. And what he said still resonates with me to this day. He said, when he stepped back and he saluted me, he said, the moment I raised my hand to salute him back and he said, good morning, Marine. He said, I remembered all the times I wanted to quit. I remembered all the times 
But I would go to bed at night thinking I'm not going to make it. All those days they made us do push-ups six, seven hours till you have no more strength. And you're thinking, man, there's no way I'm going to wake up and do this all over again tomorrow. No hope, no outlet, no help. And as he was saying those words, I knew I felt the exact same way. And brothers and sisters, when I had that experience at 19 years old, 18 years old, I'll never forget that when I decided to give my life to Christ, I met up with that friend again and I realized that experience was an illustration for me. Because soon and very soon, we are going to go through our own crucible. Soon and very soon, we are going to have to survive multiple days with no food. And when we get done, the Bible says eventually when Jesus comes, we're going to march up to the sea of glass and we're going to meet the general. And when Jesus comes in front of us, he's going to give a speech. You are the redeemed. I have seen the travail of my soul and I am satisfied. And then after that, when Jesus is done talking, he's going to come from person to person. He's going to stand in front of you and you're not going to snap to attention. You're going to kneel in the presence of your king. And Jesus is going to turn to Gabriel and say, please hand me this crown. And he's going to take that crown. He's going to put it on your head. He's going to say, stand up. And he's going to say, good morning, your majesty. Your king. Every single person. And in that moment, you talk about Marine Corps basic training. Try life. I already know I'm going to cry. Because you think you wanted to quit boot camp. You know how many times we wanted to quit life? You know how many times we spiritually thought we were not going to make it? Lord, I don't see a way out of this trial. I don't see how I'm going to get through. I don't see how I'm going to overcome this temptation. Maybe you're in that place right now. But I'm telling you, you take up your cross. When you get there and you stand before the general and he looks at you in his own divine eyes, burning like the sun, searching your very being, and he says, you have been faithful. When you know you haven't. When you know you haven't. Jesus says, you have been faithful. I'm going to make you ruler over many things. I have a throne for you. And when it's all said and done, we're going to take those crowns. We're going to lay them at Jesus' feet.
And you know why. Because when I say, Lord, we're not here because we have been faithful. We're here because you have been faithful. Crown him with many crowns. That's the glory that awaits us. If we take up our cross and we follow Jesus. Jesus says, I'm going to take you there. You stick with me. I'm going to take you there. Jesus says, we're going to make it. You stick with me. You're going to make it. Even when you think you won't. You stay with Jesus. He's going to get you there. And when you get to heaven, it'll be you and his secret. He'll look at you and he'll say, you know. And you'll look at him. You know. What it took. Brothers and sisters. I wish I could tell you good news that when you leave this conference, everything's going to be great. But I'll be lying to you. The truth is. You got to take up your cross. You got to expect trials for Christ's sake. You got to submit to the sentence of following Jesus. Every heart is bowed, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Only have two appeals. The first one is for someone who's ready to give up. You say, I am tired. I am weary. Lord, help me to stay with you. Help me to have confidence that if I stick with Jesus, he's going to take me there. If that's you, I want you to come right here to this altar. Say, Lord, I've been tempted to give up. I've been tempted to yield. I've been tempted to let go. But today, Lord, help me to stay with you. And believe if I stick with you, Jesus is going to get me there. He's going to get me through to that eternal weight of glory. Come. Say, Lord, help me to get through. Come. Lord, help me to get through. Take up my cross and follow Jesus. Jesus knows your trouble. Jesus knows your struggle.
Jesus can get you through. My second invitation, someone that says, Lord, there's something in my life that has been holding me back. Relationship, a family member, spouse, a parent, a child, that I've been sacrificing my relationship with Jesus to serve. And I'm ready to put you back in your rightful place as first, last, and best. I want you to come. There's a relationship, a person, a mother, a father, a child, a husband, Lord, that has been holding me back. But I'm willing to bear my cross today. Put you back in your rightful place as first, last, and best. I'm deciding that I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm not turning back for no one or no thing. Anyone else before I pray? Jesus knows. Father in heaven, Lord, we're at this altar because we know what it's like to collapse in the garden of Gethsemane. We know what it's like, Lord, to be sometimes so close to the end and to start feeling like we can't do it, that we're not going to make it. That, Lord, it seems like we have so many weaknesses to overcome. So many limitations around us. So many beliefs that are holding us back, Lord. We just don't know how we're going to make it. And we've been tempted to just give up. To yield. To let it be what it is. But, Lord, we are here because we believe that if we abide in Jesus, he's going to take us there to that sea of glass. We're praying that you would give us the courage to stay with the Lord until the very end. To trust that Christ will not fail us nor forsake us. That we would stick with Jesus and Jesus will get us there. He's going to get us home. And even though we may feel shaky even though we may feel weak, Lord, we are reminded that weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And even, Lord, where we have failed and brought shame and guilt to our lives, the Bible says that God's anger is for a moment, but his anger is for life. So, Lord, we are here because we know no other power except yours that can get us through. And so we're asking the Savior to help us, to keep us strong, to keep us marching on until the very end, until we are at the feet of Jesus with our crown. But Lord, others of us have come because there's a relationship 
there's a person, a spouse, a child, a parent, a friend, a leader, whatever it is, Lord, that's been holding us back. And today we're willing to take up our cross and to follow Jesus. So, Lord, help us to let it go at this altar and to put Jesus back in his rightful place as first, last, and best in our lives. Lord, we love you and we thank you for hearing and answering this prayer. And we trust that as we have decided in our minds to follow Jesus, we're never turning back, Lord. We are never going to let you go. Father, we are with you to the bitter end. And the only reason why we will not serve you is because we are no longer breathing. Thank you, Father, for hearing and answering this prayer. And we offer it from our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.